Well, good morning. It's a Saturday morning for me, but it's a, uh, December 16th, 2023. We're in uh, Ephesians 4. We'll look at verses 1 th through 7 today. Uh, my mind's not really too sharp today. I didn't have a really good night's sleep. Uh, old age sometimes sneaks up on you and calls attention to the, the body at a time when you don't really want it to. But anyway, uh, this is what I need to do, so that's what I'm going to do. Anyway, hope that the, the Lord will bless his word to your heart today uh, and every day. And I hope that you are uh, a student of the word that you read it, that you examine it, that you study it, that you meditate on it. Because that's the chief way that you're going to be able to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, um, it's funny that a lot of times you don't have to be instructed in the, the things of the flesh, just in the things of the Spirit. And as if doing the things of the flesh is uh, as easy as falling off a log, but the things of the spirit seems to go contrary. But it's not <clears throat> not contrary to the inner man, just the outer man. Anyway, um, we'll look at Ephesians chapter four. I call it the unity chapter because of what it teaches. And since we're in four, the unity chapter, I'll read the first seven verses. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. I thought that was a good place to stop because it goes into something else a little bit following. So uh, we'll look at the first seven verses. And we want to keep those things in, in context. That is, the previous thoughts from the end of chapter 3 are uh, to know the love of Christ, to be filled with the fullness of God, and then unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ. So the, the apostle will wrap these things into a reference in chapter 4, because he says he references that when he says, therefore, okay, or accordingly, therefore, uh, accordingly, that is, 
he will use the elements of chapter 3 to launch into chapter 4. So verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Keep in mind Paul writing to the, the church at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Context, always remember context is important. Okay. So as being the prisoner of the Lord, which actually means he was captive as one who is bound. Uh, it is perhaps the idea that he was bound to his calling. Thus, it was his duty. His duty was his purpose. Purpose is duty. Uh, a lot of times, you have so many people wandering around in the world today that have no purpose. They don't know what their duty is. They they don't even know who they are most of the time. They have no sense of personal identification or who they are. <coughs> well, Paul said, I am, I am what I am by the grace of God, right? So his, his duty, uh, and his duty was not a thing of drudgery. And it wasn't a thing of forced confinement, but as a point of obedience and service to he who had rescued him from his former life and gave him charge to preach to the Gentiles, to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, or that they would live or uh, deport or comport themselves follow worthily or appropriately after a godly sort in the vocation wherewith they were called. Vocation is actually the word meaning invitation. It's klesis, means an invitation or a following. And the word called is typically kaleo, to call. So you're, you're called by way of an invitation or a calling or both, if you will. The calling is unto an end, a purpose. Uh, Acts 2.39, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off. That means uh, not only geographically, but in the future. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call, as in to call to oneself. So remember... Uh, the words of Christ, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest unto your souls. So the, the, the come unto me, and I will give you rest. Yeah, song title, obviously, but uh, that's the invitation. Now, we have seen already in Ephesians 2.8 that it is by grace we are saved through faith, and that, not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Understanding that, we are admonished to live our lives in a manner appropriate to our heavenly calling. That our life reflect heaven and not hell. 
grace and not pride. Verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with the long-suffering, forbearing one another in, in love. The word with obviously means accompaniment. So the verse 1 is coupled with verse 2. Um, you perform verse 1 with or using lowliness, and that means humiliation of mind. Man ought not to think more highly than he ought to think of himself. So lowliness and meekness. Meekness is gentleness and humility. Being accompanied by long-suffering, which is forbearance and fortitude. And forbearing is to bear with or to endure one another in love. Okay, so it's it's like the whole the whole enduring and forbearing and and long suffering is not to continue to enable people to remain where they are, but to be patient with them in their spiritual growth and to seek their edification, uh, given every opportunity that you can. Ask them questions that will advance them in their wisdom and knowledge of God. Now, this this uh, positionally, the word in or uh, with positionally in these things is meaning this that you use love to bear with one another, or being positionally in love. When I say that positionally. I mean, with within love itself, bearing with one another, not using love as a tool or an implement. Okay, and catch my thinking here. It's not that's something we pull out of our toolbox and and use on an intermittent basis, but by being actually within love inside of love, manifesting it as a natural attribute of the love that we are within. So um, I, I don't know if you're going to get my concept here or not, but it's, there's a, uh, and walk in love. And that's, that's the, within love, it's, it's a position. So we have a position, and then we have a, a condition because of the position. Yeah, a little play on words there, but <clears throat> hopefully you'll get it. In First John four seven, uh, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. It's not talking about superficial stuff there, okay? Romans twelve sixteen. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. First Corinthians one ten. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. 
Philippians 2.2, 2, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded. Now, don't like-minded doesn't mean we're not talking about groupthink, that everybody has to, it's, it's not like everybody's walking in lockstep with the person who's leading. It's, everybody has their own thinking. But to be like-minded, sim, similarly minded, having the same love, being of one accord, and one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, that each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man to his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. In other words, don't neglect the things that you have, because stewardship demands that you take care of it, but also look on the things of others. So the love that's mentioned in verse 2 of Ephesians 4 is going to be associated with the four dimensions that Paul spoke of in chapter 3. The width, the breadth, the depth, and the height. Now, Ephesians 4, 3, uh, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Well, it seems to me like peace and unity would kind of go hand in hand. Um, the goal of verse 1 and 2 is stated in verse 3. By doing 1 and 2, you're endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So the, the, the word endeavoring carries with it this, the sense of promptness uh, or uh, utilization, it is defined as to use speed or to make effort or to be prompt. In other words, this uh, endeavoring is not to be ignored, is not to be put in the closet and forgotten, to make effort and to be prompt. To keeping the unity of the Spirit, uh, the word keep carries the idea of guarding as the prison keeper that sense, guarding it or holding it fast. Okay, it's not just holding on to it, but also guarding it and being an advocate for it. The unity of the Spirit is the oneness of it. There's just one. The bond of peace is that which binds us together as a woven garment a uniting principle, and I'll refer you back to the reference in 1 Corinthians one ten, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, peace can be defined as quietness. The bond of peace can be defined as quietness and rest, and it does give you that. When you quit looking at what's going on around you, when you understand that that's going on on the outside, there's there's a calm, quiet peace that ought to abide within you. So what Paul is doing here is calling the Ephesians to stewardship of that which they have been given 
to utilize those gifts given by God through Jesus Christ to portray glory and honor to God and recognizing him as the giver of all good things. We look at chapter 4, verse 4, next. There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. And I'm going to refer you to 1 Thessalonians 2.19. Again, Paul is writing here, for what is our hope? or joy, or crown of rejoicing. Are not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? So that uh, you are called in one hope of your calling. The unity of the Spirit is being reflected here. One body, the church, which is his body, as we saw, in uh, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all, Ephesians 1.23. There is one spirit, that is the Holy Spirit. And just as you are called, or kaleo called, in one hope of your calling, klesis, as in verse 1. Okay, one hope of your calling. So one body, one spirit, one hope, verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That's why I call it the unity chapter. It's just talking about one. Now, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There are not many lords, but one Lord. There's not many faiths to the believer, but one faith. Not many baptisms, but one baptism. Now, with regard to the one baptism... The context speaks of one body, that is, the church. So I'm going to say it refers to the baptism within that context, the church context. But being an advocate for the one Lord, one faith and one baptism, calls on us to present it as such, with the understanding that only those who were chosen of God to get it, to appropriate it, to receive it, will respond to it at some point. Okay? So don't get all shook up if it looks like nobody's listened because they haven't been given ears to hear or eyes to see. In John ten twenty six, the Lord was speaking to some of Israel. And he said to them in verse 26, John 10, 26, but you believe not because you are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. So the causative thing, why they didn't believe, was because they were not of his sheep. So there is within the understanding of that, 
there's no room for pride. You can't get past Ephesians 1 and and carry your pride with you because you're not even in there. Other than the fact that you have been an, uh, the object of receiving those things that Ephesians 1 talks about. So there's no room for pride or boasting or self-promotion. For if it, if it wasn't for grace, we would not be there. And humility is the hallmark of the believer, humility and gratitude. Ephesians 4, 6, there's one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So there's one God, there's one Theos, there's one Father, Pater, uh, two different Greek words. One God and Father of all. The word and has what they call a, a copulative and cumulative force. In other words, it adds to. That is, both terms are describing the same. It doesn't notice, it doesn't use the word one in front of Father. There's one God. It doesn't say one God and one Father of all. It says one God and Father. So it reflects by that absence the unity of the Father and God. Now, there are verses that do show a distinct difference in them, but it appears that the difference does not remove their unity or ruin the concept of it. In like manner, I suppose that genuine Christians are the same but different. All relates the differing gifts in the Corinthian letter to the same Lord, to the same God, and to the same Spirit. So you look at that in 1 Corinthians 12, 4, is where we pick it up. It says there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. Now, to be clear, and I say this frequently because you need to understand it, no amount of intellectual exercise all by itself can reveal or illuminate that which only the Holy Spirit teaches. It is by no means attained by carnal pursuits, but by spiritual insight and illumination. Hence, search the scriptures. Spiritual insight and illumination. Uh, there was a place in scripture, I think, who was a guy named Simeon, or Simon, one of the two. He wanted to buy the power of, that the, the, uh, the apostles had. And they said, your money is going to perish with you. Do you think it can be bought with money? You think you think any of the gifts of God can be bought with anything of man? You're mistaken. So the God and Father of all is above all, prefix epi, meaning a superimposition of time, place, and order, etc. It's above all, meaning it's superimposed over time and order and place. 
And this superimposition no doubt covers the four dimensions Paul spoke of previously, that is the length and the breadth and the depth and the height. It's context, okay? So as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways above man's ways. Ephesians 4, 7, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now, contextually, as the context is given to us in Ephesians 1, 1, the church at Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus, within that context, grace is given to every one of us. How is it then that any be a recipient of grace? It is what? Given. Being given, it is not earned. It's not wages. It's a gift, a gift given. It is the basis of salvation, for by grace are you saved through faith. Grace is the subject of praise and songs. Faith is listed as a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, but grace or graciousness is the divine influence upon the heart. Grace is the balm of a repentant heart. Grace is the unfathomable bestowal of God-giving according to the text of Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 or so. Grace makes it all work. Grace makes it all applicable. And without it, it wouldn't happen. And we saw, we saw, we see in Romans 5, 17, for if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Now, Paul speaks here of the measure of the gift of Christ. And now the Greek word is metron. We would get the word metric, uh, a meter, right, or a, a unit of measure, or a centimeter, millimeter, that kind of thinking. So it's the measure, a specific portion, okay? The measure of the gift of Christ, the specific portion. Now, he, he'll use this word three times in this chapter. Now, I'll tell you how I would take this. I would take that to mean some are given more grace than others. And I'll, I'll explain that. First of all, the sovereignty of God tells us that God gives what he will, to whom he will, when he will. Okay? If he works all things after the counsel of his own will, that's, gonna, that's how it's going to shake out. Now, if you think about this, God uh, the, giving uh, the measure of the gift of Christ a specific portion Listen, it is God who knows the specific needs of his children 
And in that, there may be some who need more grace than others. Follow my thinking here. A father may portion to his children food, but all do not get the same amount, for all do not need the same amount. One does not give a two-year-old the same portion as a 12-year-old. Their needs are different. God knows us better than we know ourselves, and in his wisdom, he apportions through Christ that measure of grace that will suit each individual. Since it is his to give, I think we have not the right nor be inclined to say he is unjust in his dealings. Give thanks that he gives it at all. That'll conclude the short, kind of a short message today, but that's probably break down chapter four into like four different ones. I've just taken my time going through, trying to glean what we can out of here. It's not, this is not hors d'oeuvre stuff. This is set down for a full meal stuff. Okay. So chew on it for a while. Think about it. Rewind, play it again if you have to. Study along with the study in the scriptures. Just crack your Bible open to Ephesians 4, 1 through 7, if you're able, uh, and and follow along with me. And I think that if you're a believer, that you're going to be rewarded by what comes out of Ephesians. That's my prayer anyway. I hope that God may bless your family, your hearts, your souls, and your spirits today and every day, and that he may edify you through his word. Thank you for listening.